At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. It's a joy to open God's word for you and to continue to worship as we read and listen to his word. And uh, we're going to do so by beginning a new sermon series in the letter of 1 John. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along there, uh, 1 John is toward the very end, just open to the to the book of Revelation at the very end, start working your way leftward, and pretty quickly you'll hit 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And that's where we're going to be this morning, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 11, is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, if we haven't met yet, most of you look familiar. My name's C.T. Eldridge. I didn't introduce myself, but um, again, such a joy to open God's word and worship with you in this way. The letter of 1 John. So the author of this letter is one of Jesus' 12 disciples, those who eventually became 12 apostles after Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. The 12 disciples, his main crew, became the 12 apostles. And John was within this company of 12. Um, He's often referred to as the beloved disciple. Um, especially within the Gospel of John that he wrote, the fourth Gospel, he often refers to himself as the beloved disciple. And I don't know if it's because Jesus actually loved him more or if he thought Jesus loved him more, but he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. Um, And within his uh, Gospel, the Gospel of John, and within 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, love is a huge theme. Not that love isn't a huge theme without the entirety of the Bible, it is, but within John's writings especially, um, we hear referenced love of God, love for God over and over again. Of course, John chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world. Um, So love is a huge theme, and that's the reason why that we've titled this sermon, Love the Forgotten Virtue. Um, Because we are, even today, in this first message, going to look at um, John's concern for love. Um, So he uh, was sent from Jerusalem um, after Jesus ascended and the Spirit came. The first part of the book of Acts primarily concerns the apostles' ministry in Jerusalem because that's where they were. In Jerusalem. That's where Jesus died. That's where Jesus rose from the grave. That's where he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So they begin their ministry at Jerusalem, but because of God's heart for the nations and because of persecution, they eventually are moved out of Jerusalem and start to preach the gospel and plant churches across the Middle East. And these churches flourish. These churches grow as even Gentiles, as even non-Jews, trust in the uh, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. John planted these churches, and several decades later, he's probably writing this letter, 1 John, in the 80s or 90s, after these churches have, not the 1980s, not the 1990s, 2,000 years ago. In the 80s or 90s, he's probably writing this letter back to some of the churches he helped plant, and some of the churches he helped pastor. Um, And they've gotten into some trouble, as we'll see. 
And so he's writing back to them to instruct them and help them stay united with him, with Jesus. Um, So let's jump into this letter. Um, You'll see, unlike most of the epistles in the New Testament, um, John does not identify himself. It's somewhat of a mystery why he doesn't do this. Perhaps it's because he uh, was writing this letter and sending it to some people that would assume it was John. You know, the messenger comes with a letter and says, hey, this letter's from John. He sent me. And thus, he didn't feel the need to introduce himself. Um, But nevertheless, he's not going to identify himself But um, he is going to begin launching right into his message. He's actually going to reference the fact that he saw Jesus, that he heard Jesus, that he touched Jesus. So he's leaning into the truth that he's an apostle. He's leaning into his authority as one of the original 12, addressing the churches. All right, so 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and God's word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know God, if we keep God's commandments. Whoever says, I know God, but does not keep God's commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps God's word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment 
that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in God and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's something just not right about being away from home during Christmas. It's hard for me to exactly put my finger on this, but there's something just not right about being away from home on Christmas. And I never really thought about this growing up because I was always at home for Christmas. You never would have dreamed of being away on Christmas Day. But the older I've gotten and the further I've gotten away from home, I Google mapped it earlier this week, 972 miles to my home. The older I've gotten and the further I've gotten away from home, the more I feel this, ah, something's off when I don't get to go home for Christmas. And apparently I'm not the only one who feels this. You think about songs like Home for the Holidays. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Or the one that really pulls at my heart, I'll be home for Christmas. Bing Crosby, the original, but Michael Buble, best version of this song. That really communicates the longing to be welcomed home, to be warmly received, to get the joy and affirmation of being back with your family, connected with your family, because there's just something not right about being away for Christmas. Well, the apostle says something similarly here. There's something seriously not right about being out of fellowship with the original apostles. There's something very concerning for him when the churches he helped plant and the churches he helped pastor, when they become disconnected from the message he preached and the fellowship he had with them. So listen again to what he wrote in verse 3. That which you have seen and heard, referring to the message of Jesus, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, and we proclaim this message to you so that you may have fellowship with us, so that you may be connected with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. So John says, we preach the gospel to you, the gospel that Jesus taught us during his earthly ministry, and when you believed that message, you came into fellowship with us, and not only fellowship with us, but with God the Father and Jesus his Son. And so he says there in verse 4, as you continue to believe our message, As you continue to have fellowship with us and God, our joy will be complete. And it's the same for when I make it back home for the holidays. My parents 
joy is complete when I make it back to the fellowship that is 811 Sanford Road, Andalusia, Alabama. My parents' joy is filled when I make it back home. He's with us. He's home. We're connected. There's something not right about being out of fellowship with the original apostles and their message. But when we stay connected with them and are true to their message, then we have fellowship with them and God and their joy is complete. But here was the problem. There were some who had left the original churches started by the apostles and they began preaching a different message than the apostles. And they were trying to draw others away from the original churches started by the apostles. And this wasn't a problem that only the apostle John experienced. Listen to what the apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Writing to the churches, Peter says, false prophets also arose among the people. He's referring to Old Testament times. And he says, just as false teachers arose among the people during Old Testament times, just so there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Heresy just being a fancy word for false teaching. He says, they will even deny the master Jesus who bought them and they'll bring swift destruction upon themselves. So both the apostle John and Peter are dealing with false, divisive teachings, and John says, I want you to stay with us. I want you to be in fellowship with us. I want the joy of knowing we're still together in the message of the gospel. So the question becomes, how can we know we're in fellowship with the original apostles? How can we know that we're in fellowship with God? And true to the message God gave the apostles through Jesus. Well, in the rest of these verses, the apostle John lays out two tests. Two tests we can apply to ourselves to know whether or not we have fellowship with Jesus and with Jesus' original apostles. First, he says, we can know by our attitude toward sin. You can know that you know God by your attitude toward sin. So John breaks in to the first of these two tests, laying out what the message was that he proclaimed to the people. He says there in verse five, this is the message we have heard from God and then proclaim to you, that God is light and in God there is no darkness at all. Now based on Everything else that John writes in the Gospel of John and even in the rest of this letter, we know that this was not the entirety of John's message, nor the entirety of the message John preached. But this is how he summarizes the message. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So now does this mean that John understands God to be this massive ball of light with no darkness in it? No, he's speaking metaphorically here. In other words, light is a metaphor for moral purity and darkness is a metaphor for moral corruption. So John describes God's moral goodness as pure light, totally absent of dark desires, dark thoughts, 
dark feelings. And then based on that message that God is light, John draws this principle. He says in verse 6, God is light in whom there is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with God who is light, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So you see what John's doing here. He's created a test you can apply to false teachers and to yourself. It's a test of our attitude toward sin. If someone says, I have fellowship with God, I know God, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, they say all those things, but they walk in darkness, then they lie because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John then shares the inverse of this test. Verse 7, if you say you have fellowship with God but walk in the darkness, you lie. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So John is saying those who walk in the light have fellowship with God who is light. He says those who walk in the light have fellowship with Jesus' original apostles, he says those who walk in the light have their sins cleansed by the blood of Christ. But if you walk in darkness, then none of these things are true of you. It's a test of who has fellowship with God, who has fellowship with God's messengers, the apostles. It's a test based on our attitude toward sin. John continues in verse 8. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So apparently, some of these false teachers who had left the church and had left the teaching of the original apostles, apparently these guys were now saying, we have no sin. Now likely what they have in mind is that ever since they supposedly believed in Christ and received the Holy Spirit, they no longer sin anymore after that. They supposedly had experienced the fullness of the Spirit's work to the degree that they were willing to say, we have no sin. But John counters this and says, yes, we can receive the Spirit through faith in Christ, but not such that we can say we have no sin. You're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you if you say that. But, verse 9, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So one group says, we have no sin. The other group says, we confess our sin. John says, that's the group you want to follow. The second one, the confessors of sin, not the deniers of sin. And what an incredible promise attached here for those who confess their sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So again, this is a test based on our attitude towards sin. If you practice sin by walking in darkness, if you deny your sin by saying you have no sin, then you are outside the bounds of fellowship with God's people and with God himself. But if you walk in the light and you confess your sin, bringing your sin to the light, that's the winning team. And in verse 10, John just circles back to this truth. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And his word is not in us. 
And then John finishes off this section on sin with, again, a couple of such encouraging verses. Look at these two verses. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, I'm writing these things to you about walking in the light, about God being light. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So John is saying, we who are unrighteous, we who have sin, there is a righteous advocate who intercedes for us before God. Verse two, he, Jesus, the righteous one who advocates for us is also the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So that term there, propitiation, that's a term that relates to a kind of sacrifice that satisfies the justice of the one being sacrificed to. So for example, when you speed in your car and you get pulled over and issued a speeding citation, when you then pay that $250 fine, it's usually what it is for me, when you pay that fine, you have propitiated the government's demands for righteous driving. You've satisfied their judgment against you by paying that penalty. Well, friends, the truth is, we could never satisfy God's justice on our own. He is too holy and our sin is too great. We could never satisfy God's justice. Our religious duty, our sacrificial service, our spiritual practices, our generous giving, our moral resolve, none of it could satisfy God's justice against our sin. Instead, we need an advocate. We need a righteous advocate to stand before God on our behalf, and that is exactly what we have in the Lord Jesus. On the cross, he paid the penalty we deserved. He satisfied the justice of God against our sin, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, whoever, whoever would believe in him, no one is too far gone to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so, church, we must ask, having looked at God's word in this test, what's your attitude towards sin? Are you living in it, walking in it, walking in darkness? You know, there's an attitude, there's, a, there's an idea today that's tragically common in Christianity that if you just walk the aisle, pray the prayer, sign a response card, maybe get baptized, then you can go and live however you want. Steep yourself in sin as deeply as you can, but you're okay because you prayed the prayer when you were a five-year-old. But this does not pass the apostolic sniff test. God is light, and if your life is characterized by dark deeds, dark desires, and dark words, then you don't know God because he is light. Now, does this mean that those of us who truly know God never sin? Heaven, no. That is an equal and opposite problem. 
We need the blood of Christ to cover our sin when we first believed in him. And we need the blood of Christ still every single day. What's your attitude towards sin? Are you living in it? Are you denying it? Or are you confessing it? Taking it to the cross, receiving grace for it, seeking to avoid it, walking in the light. That's the attitude that marks us as God's people, as having fellowship with him and with his apostles. The first test of how we can know we belong to God by our attitude towards sin, and the second test is like it, by our life of obedience, by our life of obedience. Look at what John says as he picks things back up here in verse 30. He says, by this, we know that we have come to know God if we keep God's commandments. That's just helpfully clear, isn't it? We know that we know God if we keep his commandments. You know that you know God if you obey God. Conversely, John writes in verse four, whoever says I know him but does not keep God's commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So again, clear as day. It doesn't matter if you say you know God if you disobey God. If you say you know God, but you disobey God, then you nullified what you say by what you do. And in that way, John says you're a liar and the truth is not in you. If you say you know God and you disobey God, then the truth is you don't know God. Painfully clear. Doesn't matter how many times you were baptized, doesn't matter how many times you prayed the prayer, doesn't how many times you went to mass, doesn't how much money you gave. If our lives are not characterized by obedience to God, then we don't know God. And John just continues to hammer this home, verse five. He says, but whoever keeps God's word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So John says, love for God doesn't end with love for God. Our love for God is perfected or brought to completion through our obedience to God. So imagine having a spouse who says they love you. And maybe it's true that they even feel some sort of love for you, but they never act in faithfulness toward you. They never demonstrate love through what they do. Well, over time, you would have to come to the conclusion that despite what they say, they don't love you. So it is with our love for God. If we don't obey God, we don't love God. We show him we love him by keeping his word, by obeying his word. And the next verse just reiterates this, verse six. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walks. So I think we can assume here that John is now referring to Jesus. He doesn't say his name. He uses the pronoun he. I think we can assume he's referring to Jesus because Jesus walked. Jesus lived as a man as opposed to God the Father. So John says that if we truly abide in Jesus, if we truly belong to Jesus, then we ought to walk or live like he, he did. So again, by our life of obedience, we show that we belong to God. And there are many different ways we obey God, right? <clears throat> and same way to draw on the analogy 
from a moment ago in the same way that there's many ways we show love to our spouses. You can love your spouse by being exclusively faithful to them and them alone. You love your spouse by caring for them when they're sick, by spending time with them, by being their friend. Many ways you love your spouse. In the same way, there are many different ways that we obey God. Many different areas of life that the commands of God speak to because God is Lord over all of life. But as John continues here, we're going to see that he highlights one specific area of obedience he has in mind. He starts out by saying this in verses 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. A commandment you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, this specific commandment that I have in mind, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John says the commandment we are to obey that I specifically have in mind is an old, new commandment. It's old in the sense that you've heard this commandment before. You've had this commandment from the beginning, he says. But it's new in the sense that you are living out this commandment during a time when, quote, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what John means by this is that we are living during an age of salvation history when the kingdom of God has invaded the earth. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the giving of his Holy Spirit, the light of heaven has dawned on earth and the darkness is passing away. The age of sin and death is passing away as the kingdom of God advances. And we're living during this time of heavenly takeover and we're living out this old commandment during this new time. So in that sense, it's a new commandment. And as he continues, he's going to let us know exactly what commandment he has in mind. Verses 9 through 11. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You can see it in those verses, can't you? The old new commandment that John specifically has in mind is that we are to obey God and so prove we belong to God is love for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Whoever says he is in the light, that heavenly light has dawned in Christ. Whoever says they're in that light but hates his brother is actually in the darkness. On the contrary, verse 10, whoever loves his brother, that's who abides in the light. So we can demonstrate we are in the light of Christ by our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you say you have the light of Christ but you have no love for the people of Christ, John says, you are blind. So the second test of whether or not we know God is by our life of obedience, specifically whether or not we obey God's command to love his people. If we turn on God's people, we turn on God. So we've got to ask ourselves, is your life characterized by obedience to God's commands? 
And we're not talking about a flawlessly perfect record. John has just gotten finished saying that if we say we have no sin, we're a liar. No, he's asking, are our lives characterized by obedience? Is there some amount of consistency in following through with what God asks of us? Or is the attitude just, eh, I know God commands this, but I'm going to do my thing. I know God wants this, but I'm going to do what I want. That sort of attitude, that sort of lifestyle is indicative of being outside of fellowship with Jesus and with his original apostles. Furthermore, we've got to ask ourselves specifically, is your life characterized by obedience to God's command to love his people, to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have affection for God's people? Do you want to serve God's people? Do you want to sacrifice for them? Do you want to worship with them? Do you want to be near them? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? We are a family, and if you are in Christ, then this is your family. If not this church, then some other one should be. So I was 20 years old in university, when God saved me, when God delivered me from the darkness of a, light, of a life dominated by sin, he delivered me into the light and love and grace of Christ, my sophomore year of school. And at that time, I did not know a single Christian. By that I mean I did not know a single person of whom it was obvious they followed Jesus, that Jesus was the center of their lives. I didn't know anybody like that. But all of a sudden, now that God had got a hold of my life, I find myself wanting to be with other Christians. And at that time, I had been an athlete, I had been a partier, I had been a fraternity dude. But I finally find this group of Christians, and let's just say they were different than me. They knew different people, went to different places, looked different, acted different, dressed different, but I didn't care. These were my people, and I could see the heart of Christ in them, and they loved me. Wednesday night, fellowship dinner and Bible study. Sunday night, corporate worship. Rest of the week, we're growing in our friendships. Where in the world did this come from? God had done something in my life, something I couldn't explain. I began to love God and love his people, and by the sheer grace of God, I am still here. I love you guys. I love you guys so much, I want to work for you guys. I want to be here all the time. Whoever loves his brothers abides in the light. Is your life characterized? Is your life marked by obedience to God's commands, particularly his command? to love his people. It's a strange thing to be away from home on Christmas. You ask any military serviceman who's been deployed during the holidays or ask someone who's far away from where they grew up, it's a strange thing to be disconnected during that time. But it is even stranger and certainly more serious to be disconnected, to be out of fellowship with Jesus and his apostles. And so John helps us get clarity. 
You know that you know. You can know that you know God by your attitude towards sin and by your life of obedience. Let's reflect on these verses with humility and honesty. Let's look at our lives through the lens of God's word. What's my attitude towards sin? How am I treating the commands of God? Can I truly say I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? And then church, let's walk in the light. Let's walk as Jesus walked. Let's keep his word. Let's lay aside deeds of darkness that mark our lives. Let's confess them. Let's bring them to the cross. Let's make John's joy complete by continuing in fellowship with him and with God. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the light of your word. Thank you for the precision and clarity that it brings as we evaluate ourselves and as we evaluate those who would seek us, seek to influence us spiritually. Father, we thank you for the inspired writings of the beloved disciple, the apostle John, one who was at the bosom of Jesus, even at the last supper, the first communion. God, thank you for these ancient writings inspired by your Holy Spirit that guide our paths today, that confront our living today, and that speak hope and grace to us today. And so over these next few weeks, would you continue to do that? Father, these lives are a, these words are a mirror for our lives. What's our attitude towards sin? What do our lives look like in regards obedience to you? What do our lives look like as it regards love for your people? God, help us to be honest. Illuminate our hearts. Illuminate our lives as you work in us through your word. Lord, only you can do this. And God, at the end of the day, draw us to the cross where the righteous one, our advocate, was pierced through on our behalf. And fill us with grace there. Fill us with hope there. Cleanse us there so that we may leave there and walk in the light. May it be so. We come to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.